RX for Biotech podcast. I'm your host and producer, Chris Lidley. I wanted to take a moment and just welcome all of our new listeners. We've seen tremendous growth here in our audience over the past few months. Thought it'd be a good opportunity to step back for a minute and remind everybody what this unique podcast format is. As we're not a news style podcast, but rather really trying to bring disruptive insights to really provide value to our listeners. So we feature interviews with physicians, scientists, investors, and other biotechnology leaders with the whole goal of really wanting to make sure that we can launch innovative new therapies to patients and make sure that those patients have access to these innovative treatments. It's getting only more and more complicated as the life science industry is evolving so rapidly. And to that point, now that we're all back from a very rainy and soggy JPM healthcare conference in San Francisco a little over a week ago, I wanted to dig in a bit to some of the key takeaways from the conference in this podcast episode. Our guest today is Chris Dokomagilar. He's joining us to help unpack some of the JPM highlights, but more importantly, also to help provide an update on the biopharma deal-making and financing landscape. Chris is the founder and CEO of DealForma, which is a comprehensive database and custom analytics shop that provides curated data for deal benchmarking that's utilized for licensing, partnerships, and M&A. Their data and team are the go-to resource for biopharma and investors to help drive better deal-making decisions. Hey, Chris. uh, Happy New Year to you, and I'm glad to have you back on the podcast. Uh, How are you? Good. Thanks, Chris. Nice to be speaking with you again and happy new year. I think biotech gets a bit of an extended new year with the, uh, the start of the year, uh, right up right before the, uh, the big JP Morgan healthcare conference. So we're back, uh, after that kind of the tail end of January, excited to see what's going to happen this year. Yeah. I was really looking forward to, to, to speaking with you today coming out of the JPM. I know you've been super busy and I wanted to maybe just start there and, and ask you about, what was your takeaway around JPM? What was the overall mood of investors and pharma during JPM a week or two ago? Yeah, you know, the the, the mood um, in and around the halls and in San Francisco, uh, apart from it being super stormy and rainy, um, is, is that, you know, much like uh, we had about mid-2022 um, and, and a little bit that started before that, if, if you all recall, um, the turmoil that we were in, in terms of the public markets and the XBI, that, that peaked in February of 21. So the biopharma industry has really had a little bit more than a year, almost two cycles of, um, you know, uh, challenging markets and so forth. So I think starting out in 22, the mood was, I'll, I'll say, about middle to, to positive. Okay. And what I mean by that is that um, everything that should have been shaken out uh, looks like it has. Um, public equities seem to have stabilized. If you follow again, the XBI, uh, flat is the new up. Okay. Um, and, and a lot of companies, uh, did announce, uh, layoffs and restructurings, but that, that seems to have slowed down a bit. Uh, so starting off the year, we had a couple of big deals to announce just before the JP Morgan conference officially kicked off. So I'll be talking about those in a minute. 
um, overall mood from investors is that um, this year should start to improve. And if it doesn't improve, really, it's stable. And that's going to be uh, pretty good. It could have been worse, I think, uh, in, in some areas. And um, we'll see. I mean, there's some there's some good news coming out in terms of product development and new medicines. Uh, of course, the challenges against that uh, and regulatory and pricing uh, issues that we'll talk about as well. So that was overall mood, uh, JP Morgan. Now it's just the, the back half of January where people are really getting to work and, and um, following up on those initial meetings and, and uh, calls that they had in the beginning of the year. Yeah, Chris, I mean, it's good to see that despite this prolonged downturn in the equity markets and the difficulty in, in, in financing and finding new rounds of financing that the, the mood ultimately, it, it hasn't really dampened the mood much. I know that it seemed like many uh, companies really believe that the science that underlies the R and D of new drugs is, is still moving at a stunning pace. And we're, you know, we're going to see lots of promising approvals uh, in 2023. Where I saw concern is around the, really around regulatory and policy headwinds. There still was still a lot of discussion during the conference around the accelerated approval process, and I think many CEOs are looking to see and make sure that these products that are in front of FDA this year that that approval process goes smoothly because that may help also swing sentiment for the sector. There was a quite a bit also about the policy headwinds, the Inflation Reduction Act, and and I think what's going to happen is investors and pharma companies are going to have to look at their pipelines more closely and really look at commercial potential much more closely, especially, you know, for those making claims about future blockbuster status for their drugs, because many drugs just won't make it there. But in terms of deal making, it seemed like folks were cautiously optimistic for the year. Bullish about M&A has plenty of deal capital available. So let's maybe take a look at that and maybe where do we kind of end the year last year in terms of M&A and, and what do you see ahead for 2023? Yeah. And I'll, I'll jump in on the M&A picture there. We'll look at some numbers um, out of our database and uh, I will focus on biopharma therapeutics and, and discovery platforms apart from the other subsectors um, that we track. Um, and the M&A story, of course, leading into that is the IPO story as well. And as many of the folks uh, listening in would would know by now that you know the IPO window, if you will, uh, was was pretty much shut for 2022. Um, we we closed the year with uh, just 23 uh, IPOs that went out at a total of 3.3 billion dollars. Contrast that to 109 companies that went public in 2021, 16.7 billion dollars there. The year before that, 95 companies at 18 billion, a record for, you know, as long as I could track. Um, and that was the window. That was the window that started in 2017, went all the way up, came back down. Okay. It shut. Um, so, and a lot of this is kind of the, the gears getting jammed, if you will, one after another, um, with the M&A story not being there, the uh, public equity story not being there. And of course, the, the challenges and the headwinds um, just in, in, you know, biopharma regulatory, um, not mentioning the, the broader macro challenges that we're having there. So all that bad news uh, aside, I think uh, the industry has, you know, can remember that biopharma is hard and it's usually um, not as, as, uh, as ramped up and record setting year after year as it has been for the past few years. We did have a big bump in uh, 2017 to 2022 in terms of the IPO window. 
the previous um, upcycle there was 2012 through like 2016 coming down. Okay, so 2017 was a very quiet year, just like it is in 2022. Um, so closing out 22, IPOs were way down. Now the M&A story, um, it started to pick up. So if you only started reading biopharma business news in the past month or so, you think, wow, this this industry is is back. Um, big M&As have not been... Uh, you know, in, in the picture for, for a few years now, actually. So 2019, uh, when we had the big names like Celgene and BMS, uh, we finished the year, even with that deal in, uh, at $203 billion in overall announced M&A acquisitions within biopharma. Okay. 109 companies there. Um, we still saw the tempo of M&A continue. Uh, that hasn't dropped off. So there's a number of companies still being acquired within biopharma. Uh, and in 22, we finished with a hundred companies. Uh, getting acquired. Uh, now on the dollar value, however, that has dropped year after year. Okay. So there has been the absence of mega mergers that, um, you know, many parts of the industry rely on to, to get products moving, to get pipelines kind of reshuffled uh, in a way. And so 2022, uh, we finished the year at $81.2 billion in announced acquisitions. That's the, the top line number, you know, including CVRs and milestones and earnouts and all that. Uh, however, that $81 billion figure includes the $28 billion Horizon acquisition by Amgen that was you know, finalized just at the, uh, at the end of 2022. Without that, we're at 50 or so billion. And um, you know, that's actually a, a, quite a small number in terms of the total dollar value. You'd have to go back to about 2016 uh, to go under that figure. So $50 billion in 2022, 2016 was somewhere around $48 billion in announced acquisitions right around the same number of deals as well. So, uh, you know, and, and that's been ramping down since 2019, as I mentioned, you know, year after year has been smaller and smaller for acquisitions. That's how we finished the year in terms of M&A and IPO. Um, the start to the year and even the, the weekend before the JP Morgan's conference officially kicked off, we had uh, a string of acquisitions announced and, and a few more throughout the week as well, uh, which all of a sudden you may think, well, wait a minute, now deals are happening. Um, you know, they are, of course you get the, the splash around the conference, but, uh, it, it seems to be continuing. And I think there's, um, some good signs that we will see more acquisition activity, of course, you know, helping out the, the financial aspects of the industry. But I think, you know, beyond that too, there's, uh, as you mentioned, uh, some very promising pipeline development going on and a, and a lot in front of uh, regulators, I think, this year. So, Chris, with with the IPO window effectively remaining shut, the venture capital and fundraising through venture capital becomes paramount, especially for those that are either not seeking to or actually struggling to partner with pharma companies. What do you what do you see in terms of venture capital and what's happening there? So in, in venture capital, uh, and if you follow how much the, uh, the firms themselves or the funds, how much they've raised, uh, you know, the, the, the short answer there is that there's still a lot of dry powder to invest, to deploy in biopharma companies. Uh, however, the timelines for investments and for those investments to play out are just not the same as what they were, um, you know, three, four or five years ago. Okay. So it's going to take a lot longer to return because the IPO window is shut. It's going to take longer to get there. 
um, what you know used to be a hot IPO market uh, started to stretch out already in 2021. It went from uh, three months from initial filing to to an IPO. Uh, now we're we're seeing six months, eight months longer, uh, and some in some cases, uh, you know, withdrawn IPOs as well. And we just talked about M and A. Um, I, and we'll get back to M&A in a moment, but, um, you know, I don't see both the IPO or the M&A picture drastically improving, uh, beyond just being stable for this year. And all that is bad news for timelines, uh, for private companies. And what that means is companies that, uh, did raise, uh, good money in the past few years, it was plenty, um, definitely have to make that last and have to be very capital efficient. Uh, clinical trials are very expensive. Um, uh, overall macroeconomic and, and geopolitics gets involved here. And, and we're seeing clinical trial sites, uh, being harder to access because of travel restrictions, still, uh, timelines, there getting stretched out and all that is, is very costly. So that has had a negative, uh, impact on a number of, uh, smaller biopharma companies. Um, you've seen, you've seen shutdowns, uh, and kind of uh, terminations of programs there as well. So, um, all that, you know, and, and we're, we're looking at venture capital, which has, you know, uh, a lot more to invest. They just are not investing it just yet. The numbers. So 2022, we saw 17.2 billion invested in biopharma therapeutics and platforms. And if you add up the other sectors, we saw about $45 billion go in. Now, over the long course of uh, all the charts I'm looking at here, you know, that's, that's still uh, quite a high number. Of course, 2021 record breaking, you know, $80 billion overall went into healthcare and life sciences, 35 billion of that going into biopharma. Uh, and so we're just about half of that for 2022. Going forward, uh, it's going to be a little, lot more risk averse in terms of investments. Uh, again, because those timelines are going to be stretched out. Uh, we don't have the, uh, the, the, the catalysts kind of financially, um, coming in to, to kind of relieve the, the venture investments. Um, it's going to be money going into portfolio companies, existing portfolio companies first to make sure they're well positioned, uh, followed by money into new companies, I think. So, um, we're not seeing down rounds just yet. Uh, I, I think, I think the public markets would have to um, suffer a lot worse for a little longer for it to really trickle into the private side. Typically, private continues to do well um, for a little bit longer. So, um, you know, it's again, investors being very cautious, timelines are getting recalculated uh, and money going into existing companies, portfolio companies first, uh, followed by new company investments. Chris, it's really amazing. Your data shows that really the last few years, we, we just finance so many companies and all these companies are going to need to come back and continue to raise money. Right. So I think maybe investors and pharma right now are maybe we're seeing like a Darwinian process and, and a bit of a flight to quality here that, and I know that during JPM, many uh, CEOs that I heard from said that really not everything needs to be M&A. There could be more collaborations, collaborations, more licensing. So let's maybe turn to that and tell me, what are you seeing in terms of licensing and um, collaborations on that, on that front? Right. And partnerships. And classically, that's always been, you know, non-dilutive capital uh, and beyond just the deal 
comparables, the deal financials, um, you know, just just partnerships in general, getting a, uh, a larger biopharma partner, a big pharma uh, involved in the development, um, likely early in the development of that product or, or program uh, would actually improve the odds of it, you know, eventually making it out and, and uh, hitting approvals and getting into patients. Okay. Um, there are not that many biopharma companies, private or, or small, that could actually take a product uh, in a big market that far. So they do need a, a big partner. Now, what has been happening for the past, you know, three or four years, especially as, as especially with valuations the way they were um, prior to 2022, uh, is we had a lot of kind of financial challenges against classical licensing and deal making, whereas typical large pharma would come in and uh, they could typically command the negotiating leverage and in, in licensing. Um, they were going up against, you know, just these uh, quite high or healthy um, valuations of biopharma companies. So there was, it was getting actually um, tough to, to get deals done. Now, all that changed when things slowed down in terms of investments and timelines and all that, that we were speaking about. Um, so what we're seeing now is actually the kind of the, the advantage shifting back more towards the buyers. I wouldn't necessarily call it a buyer's market just yet. Um, we're not seeing fire sales. We're not seeing, uh, you know, crazily discounted licensing deals. Um, but we are seeing a flight to quality, as you mentioned. So, um, you know, a risk off in terms of very uh, early stage licensing deals for platforms at, at you know, triple digit upfronts. Uh, those are going to be a lot harder to see. Um, a lot more in terms of milestones uh, across multiple programs, okay, multiple potential programs, a lot of options built in. And um, in order to to make some of these deals work, I think from the selling side, what we're seeing now is um, more so deals where they're where they're licensing out uh, larger chunks of their pipeline or, or geographies. Okay. Whereas, uh, when, when it was, you think of it more of a seller's market, uh, you know, companies would license out maybe not their top program, uh, and not worldwide rights, but now we are seeing those again, um, financials in terms of licensing, uh, it's kind of a mixed story, right? So we're seeing fewer deals there. Uh, in 2022, uh, within biopharma R&D partnerships, kind of the way I like to look at it is uh, deals involving licensing or R&D licensing and commercialization um, prior to phase three, because beyond that, you're looking more at, you know, uh, distribution and sales deals. So phase three and earlier licensing deals, we saw 530 deals signed within therapeutics. Okay. The year before that in 21, 721, the peak 800 Okay. In 20. Now remember in 2020, we saw close to, um, you know, a thousand, uh, deals altogether licensed, uh, sorry, uh, done for, for, uh, for COVID, uh, you know, therapeutics and diagnostics and whatnot and contracts for manufacturing, uh, about 400 of that 800 figure in 2020 was, uh, was for that indication. So, uh, we are seeing kind of a reduction in number of deals in a longer time frame. Uh, that's not bad. Uh, we're again focused on these crucial uh, product development and licensing deals. 530 of them signed last year. Now, on the dollar side, 9.7 billion in upfront cash and equity. Uh, that's money upfront for companies. Okay. Uh, and 145 billion on the top figure, including milestones and such. 
top uh, announced total deal values have not dropped much. Okay. Uh, however, we are seeing a drop in the, the number of deals and of course the total uh, of those upfront dollars coming in across the whole industry. Uh, the silver lining to all this, and you know, we just, uh, we just mentioned the types of deals that are happening. Um, bigger programs, more prominent programs, a little bit more advanced programs as well. Uh, the, the median upfront for licensing deals has never been as high as, uh, as it has been in the past few years, $30 million in uh, a median upfront cash and equity for a deal. Okay. Last year it was 22 million. Okay. The year before that, it was also 30 million with, with all that was going on around, um, around COVID and many large deals that were signed. So, um, out licensors could expect to see double digit, uh, upfront payments, 30 million or so. Okay. Um, once we narrow this down to at what stage companies are licensing in, uh, how we play around with risk versus, you know, proof of concept and things that are a lot closer to market. That's when we get to see a big jump, especially a lot further off. And, um, that leads us to really what the appetite is from big pharma. You know, what are they going after? Um, what's, you know, what's, what's hot for licensing nowadays, because they do have a bit of an advantage uh, in terms of what they can pick. Um, the, the pressure is off in terms of those uh, high valuations driven primarily by public markets and, and uh, venture. Have you seen any shift in the therapy areas and modalities that are in focus right now? Um, like look, maybe start with what were the top five therapy areas? Have we, and it has, has anything changed on that top five list? Yeah. You know, the uh, oncology always takes the number one spot and has been for, for many, many years um, in terms of those figures that I just mentioned uh, close to 6 billion of uh, that $10 billion upfront figure is going into oncology, uh, therapeutics. Um, that's followed by the, usually the, the same, uh, usual therapy areas that are in the top five, uh, infectious neuro cardiovascular, are usually always there autoimmune hepatic inflammation, usually shuffle around, uh, depending on what deals we've seen. Uh, it's a huge drop off in the dollar value, you know, 6 billion going into oncology, um, 600 million, Okay. In infectious disease, you know, stepping down little by little into cardiovascular down at $300 million in total upfronts for deals. Um, so, uh, in terms of therapy areas, again, oncology leading the way there, and that's no surprise. Uh, when we shift over to the modalities and technologies that, um, are, are attracting the deals, um, by, if we group together biologics, MABs, um, you know, protein and peptide, uh, drugs, you know, $3.2 billion going there. Uh, and then most of the rest of it is in a uh, small molecule. Uh, the more advanced therapies, cell therapies, gene therapies, gene editing vectors and so forth, um, still continue to, to kind of hold the top spot on averages, uh, and medians for upfronts. They, they typically bring in, uh, some of the larger, uh, deal payments there upfront. Okay. And then uh, when we look at this kind of correlating, um, investment activity, uh, cell and gene therapy continue to bring in uh, a little bit more and in kind of an increasing fashion, more investment than in other modalities for companies. Okay. So CGT bringing in good, healthy investments, um, despite the drops overall, uh, in, in all investments. And then when you look at licensing, um, just as well over there, you know, still bringing in larger and larger, um, you know, upfront payments, as, as things kind of rotate out of small molecule into more advanced therapies. 
Yeah, there's still a lot of excitement and investment and enthusiasm around immunotherapy combinations, second generation T cell receptors, the competition starting to heat up. But I think that we'll continue to see a lot of progress in, in cell and gene therapies and being able to have a more sustainable way to manufacture those advanced regenerative products. And also the therapeutic protein space is growing as capacity and, and the pipeline continues to grow there. So we'll just keep an eye on that, Chris, over time and see if those, you know, how those numbers evolve in, in 2023. I was wondering maybe as we close out here, if you could share, what are you most excited about in in the new year? What investments or or deal data or companies are you watching closely? What's what what are you gonna be paying attention to this year? Yeah. So if we kind of work it back, what we've covered, uh, we're just talking about licensing in terms of licensing uh, beyond just the financial comps. Uh, we're going to start paying uh, a lot more attention to the data around uh, the deal structures. So we do track, you know, whether or not there's co-development and co-promotion, for example, from the deal, if that's an option or if that's explicit uh, upfront territories and such. Uh, what we started seeing um, just at the uh, kind of mid to tail end of 2022 is a lot of those licensing deals. Um, did not negotiate in co-promotion rights. Okay, that's very challenging for for any company, really, but uh, super challenging for companies that have not even started in the clinic yet. Um, and that has been historically something that uh, that boards and management have pushed for in in a licensing deal um, to include those in deals. And then typically, larger pharma have pushed back on um, you know in terms of co-promotion specifically. Uh, interesting structures. We look for in terms of partnerships where uh, instead of co-promotion, explicit, you know, detailing rights, uh, we start to see uh, new structures around co-commercialization. So um, getting a larger chunk of uh, royalties or profit splits, uh, maybe in a certain territory, as we've always seen in, in the industry. But uh, I'd like to see some uh, you know, new models uh, crafted out there. Um, and, you know, definitely we're, we're hearing a lot about. Um, some of the, the, the more prominent deal makers in pharma, um, you know, doing deals that are just a lot smarter, not, not really a, a risk, uh, reward type of, uh, play, but more so just to support the, uh, the partners that they have. Okay. So the, the out licensors, they're going to see that it's going to take longer to raise another round of, uh, of investment. They need to kind of stretch those, um, you know, pre-invested dollars out. Um, and, and here we are with, uh, with pharma companies coming in saying, well, you know, we're going to do a good deal with you and actually support you so that that company is going to be around for, you know, the next three, five or 10 years while this deal is still living. And, um, you know, we're going to see better deals that way. Okay. So it's not, it's not so much anymore, a buyers or seller type of market, but more actually true partnerships. Um, turning around to the M and a story, uh, we did see a, a, a healthy start to the year. Okay. So uh, a lot of rapid deals uh, being signed again, under the two to $3 billion uh, space. I mean, these are billion dollar deals that got signed here um, for the names, just like um, we saw, um, you know, Amrit, Albiero, uh, Syncor, uh, just before JPM uh, this week, we saw concert pharma, um, Insta Deep with BioNTech right before that. It's a very interesting plays there. Um, these I would call, you know, R and D plays to kind of refill the pipeline uh, in the long term. Uh, in terms of big deals coming in, everyone's eager to to see a mega merger return, maybe one or two this year. Um, 
And, you know, those are the deals in the, the 25 billion and larger. And the play there is really for uh, large pharma to, to start to fill up a uh, pipeline for 2025, 2030, where we're expecting to see a lot of loss of exclusivity. Uh, so much like we saw in the 2003 to 2005 timeframe, we're kind of at that cycle again, where uh, we have a lot of drugs coming off patent and uh, big farmers are going after uh, companies that have, you know, promising phase three and, and marketed products in their pipeline uh, to, to bolt on to the, to the marketed side. Okay. So maybe a return of uh, big M&As this year, if things um, are stable. Uh, on the smaller end, uh, continued bolt-ons for R&D, kind of the 2 billion and smaller types of acquisitions, which we uh, see a lot more of nowadays. Um, in terms of uh, venture activity, uh, venture investment, as I said, there's a lot of money to invest. Uh, it's probably going to go first to companies that are already in um, portfolios of investors, followed by Nuco investments and uh, IPOs and uh, public markets. The story there, I think, is um, right out 2023 and, and come back and take a look at it in 24 or 25. Yeah. So, Chris, I think, as you said earlier, the equity market being flat and at really had been being pretty beaten down over the last two years. Flat is the new up. I, I feel, I feel like, I feel like we're at a turning point though. I think people are generally feeling positive that, that you know, and the feeling that we hit the sectors hit bottom and we're on our way back up. I think that at the end of the day, uh, good data, good clinical data in particular will drive continued investor interest and pharma interest down the road. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's, we've got to remember that's what we're here for. And, uh, the business sort of part of it has, has always been challenging. You know, you're interfacing, uh, public markets with regulatory, um, you know, global regulatory at this point, uh, and then just at the core of it, the, the actual science. I mean, the science is hard and uh, nobody got into biopharma because it was easy. Um, there's some good rewards out there and both, you know, financially and of course in, in kind of overall science, but um, it is hard. We've had uh, a, a pretty good run uh, in the past five years and now we're just back to um, kind of the core of, of what we're here for. Well, Chris, can you help remind our listeners here today What's the best way to get in touch with you? You covered a lot of great data here. And if someone wants to ping out to you and go deeper into the numbers, um, how do they, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Uh, well, dealforma is at dealforma.com. Uh, I'm typically active on, uh, on the Twitters and LinkedIn's at Chris Doko. And uh, we're available at either of those places, probably the best way to reach me um, and get in touch with my team. Uh, the database is available uh, typically on a subscription basis. Uh, customers range from the smallest biotechs all the way to the largest pharma and investment banks. And they use it primarily for uh, researching deal comps, uh, doing deal licensing analysis and looking at uh, both investments and company profiles altogether. Well, it's been a pleasure, Chris. Enjoy talking to you about you know, 2022 and, and looking forward to, to the new year ahead. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Customers are demanding more relevant and personalized content experiences at different touch points across the customer journey. From Spotify to Netflix and Amazon, we're surrounded by examples of personalization every day. Healthcare providers and patients bring that thinking to their experiences with pharma brands as well. But many biopharma organizations aren't equipped to deliver on those expectations. 
So I'd like to invite my listeners to register to join my free live webinar on February 8th to learn how to make your marketing personalization better, to take it to the next level. I'll be joined by an expert panel, including Carolyn Eastman and Rico Cipriasso, where we will discuss how to evolve your brand personalization to win with patients and healthcare providers. I'll add the link to register in the description for this podcast episode. I want to thank our sponsor, Pixacore. Pixacore delivers deeply personalized, data-driven solutions that enliven the customer experience. The company can help you navigate the unique needs of HCPs and patients with targeted agile strategies aligned with their unique treatment journeys to drive measurable engagement results. I recommend you check them out at pixacore.com.